And with quantum physics, the rules of clicking a little particle and seeing where it goes are so wonky that you will, you won't know where that particle goes. It might tunnel through a barrier. The plant on your wall could just move through the wall all of a sudden. Those types of things happen on the quantum scale. So weird things happen and you need special math to describe those weird behaviors. So that's quantum physics. And then over here is the opposite. So what's the opposite of like something really tiny would be something really, really big, something big enough to noticeably affect this, the curvature of space and time. Those are things like black holes, the sun, neutron stars, supernovas, like the most massive things in the universe are described by the language of general relativity. And we still have not been able to unify those. There's some places where the languages don't match. Hi, welcome to the Pretty Intense podcast. Today was pretty intense and a lot of information and a lot of thought-provoking topics. Today's interview was with Diana Cowern. She's a science communicator and a YouTuber. She has like two and a half million people that follow her on YouTube. She has, she makes amazing videos explaining everything from crystals to time to dark matter. I mean, you name it. She's done videos on it. She's really fascinating. So if you're interested at all in physics, she or how the world works, let's just like boil it down to something more simple, like how the world works. Check her out. Uh, so today we went all over the place. Of course, we're explaining like generally what physics is and then and different kinds of physics. So got Newtonian physics as well as quantum theory. And then we got into like stuff like time, dimensions, crystals, fractals, dark matter, of course. It's like, how are we going to know if we are in a multiverse or just if it's just one universe and that's just how it all works? But these are really interesting questions. And so uh, we had a blast. Uh, we chit chatted on, we like ended the interview and then it kind of just kept going um, as she's just as curious as I am about these things. So uh, ultimate lesson is like, stay curious. So enjoy this interview of staying curious and being in the mystery of what's re what's really happening and what's not. And essentially at the end of the interview, getting to like a really fundamental great question, which is, are we in a simulation or are we not? So she explains what she thinks about that. Um, so enjoy. Um, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Um, please hit subscribe. Uh, it really tells me that you resonate with the information and the interviews that I'm doing. Uh, leave comments about what you think. Hit the bell for notifications when we have a new episode drop. Yeah, the theory of everything. Do you think that we're ever going to figure that out in this lifetime, our lifetime? Um, gosh, um, I'm going to go with, unfortunately, no, that's like the biggest disappointment that you could ever give a curious person. Right? <laughs> but Why? First of all, Why? this is the, this is the coolest thing to, to chat with you about science. I think that's what we're going to talk about. I don't know, but that's oh, what yeah. I, we're definitely, <laughs> and I'm not going to ask you about the physics of a race car, trust me, but I've always been fascinated with the universe and I think in another life I was or will be a cosmologist and Amazing. I just love I've always looked up to the stars and thought how does it all work and my biggest question is what what is reality like what is mm -hmm. this experience of being a human being and um 
So, uh, and, and therein lies a lot of physics and, and, and so maybe I'm curious, like what's the definition of physics. And then I kind of want to get into the, the, the realms of physics with Newtonian physics and quantum theory. Oh yes. Okay. So (laughs) you want to dive right in deep. Um, so I think the textbook definition of physics is not the most interesting. Maybe the most, the most interesting way to think about physics is still like the biggest unanswered questions. And it was your very first question you threw at me, which is what is the answer to everything? Um, specifically, we don't even know what mass is yet. So, you know, your face, your hair, your car, we don't know what it is fundamentally. We don't even, we don't know what those particles are made up of. We don't know why gravity is so weird. We know some fun things. We know the speed of gravity. Have you ever heard of the speed of gravity? (laughs) But I don't know. So if the sun disappeared, which you've probably heard before, like if the sun disappeared, they talk about how it would take eight minutes for us to know because it would take that much time for the the lack of light to get Mm -hmm. to us Mm because the light from the sun usually takes eight minutes to get to earth. Um, But the speed of gravity is exactly the same. So even if the sun disappeared, the earth would still continue to orbit around the sun for eight more minutes, not knowing the sun is gone, just going about its little circular or elliptical orbit for eight more minutes. And then it would know, and it would fly off in a straight line into space. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voidbydanica.com. So there must be something to do with the energy or particles. There's some interaction that that happens with the energy from the sun and gravity. They're obviously inseparable. Yeah, 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 exactly. I love this, like the you like looking up with wide eyes. <laughs> That was like my entire childhood all through college. And I think that's why I stuck with physics. But that look on your face is just, I I live for it once people start to think about physics in a slightly different way. But yeah, there's, there's a totally different way to think about gravity than most people think. They're like, oh, it's just a force that holds you in your seat. So you don't start floating into the upper atmosphere and off into the void of space. But you could think of it as this warping of space and time. So if you imagine all of space like this sort of warpable fabric, it's stretchable and bendable. And the sun sitting there is 
is warping it a significant amount because the sun just has so much mass, which Mm. we don't know. We don't know what mass is. There it is again. Hmm. Um, and then if you remove that, then that ripple of the sun disappearing will travel through that fabric and it takes some time to get to us. And the time it takes is exactly the same as the speed of light. So the speed of gravity, it turns out is exactly the same as the speed of light. We just never talk about the speed of gravity. Wow. So is there a chance then that we've given this thing called, uh, this, this, um, We've given this experience on earth of weight. Mm. We've given it a title called gravity. Yes. But it might be kind of an obsolete description of the experience of weight in the future. The funny thing about like, there have been a lot of times throughout my education where I've been like, oh, so everything they taught me is wrong. And then I got to this pretentious moment of like, once you learn about um, Einstein's theories of gravity uh, versus Newton's theory, like three laws of physics, you're like, oh, well, Newton was wrong. Why did they teach me all of this incorrect physics? Because Einstein really has the real law. And he's correcting Newton's law, whatever. You get to this point where you're like, oh, they taught me something wrong. But they didn't actually, your, your science teachers weren't actually teaching you something wrong. They were teaching you something relevant to your daily experiences. Like the truth of it is, if you accelerate your car on the racetrack, the force you have to push is, you know, F equals M. It's related to the mass of your car and you, and then the force that you push it with. If you asked Einstein, he'd be like, actually, there's all this other relativity stuff that goes into the calculation F equals MA and F equals MA is not all the the whole story. If you got close to the speed of light in your car, then the force you put in doesn't really give you much more acceleration because your car actually gets (laughs) more massive, the faster you're going. And so that M changes as that's, that's relativity. But the, the point is like, you don't experience that on a daily basis. When you accelerate in your car, Maybe you feel pushed back in your seat, but you don't feel like suddenly you are a thousand times, a million times heavier, but that's Mm -hmm. what happens when you get to these extreme speeds Mm -hmm. where you need to bring in relativity. Newtonian physics and then quantum theory seems to be a leap and they don't, they don't jive. There's, there's things about the two, right. That don't jive and they, they are separate theories essentially. And may is in, so now in the middle, is that Einstein? Cause Einstein acknowledged quantum theory, but it was spooky things happening. Right. At a distance, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, that's what he said. Right. Something along those lines. And yeah. So he, he didn't like a lot of quantum physics. Right. But he was kind of this in-between phase between Newtonian physics and quantum theory is that Einstein's in the middle. Is Einstein the one that had sort of like the cloth essentially. And then inside, like you put a ball, which would be the sun. And then it creates sort of a, t- a warp in the, in the cloth. Yes. And when you, and that is explaining sort of gravitational pulls is that the more mass there is, which we don't understand yet, apparently <laughs> the more mass there is, the more gravitational pull there is. And that's why planets all kind of gravitationally pull towards the sun because yeah. there's mass there. So that's kind of like the visual of how time space fabric warps with mass. Yeah, that's exactly it. Did that? Um, I don't know if Einstein did that 
that specific um, experiment, like the demonstration to be like, this is what I mean. But if he had, it would have been a good explanation because that that's exactly what I was talking about, like warping space. And you're actually also warping time, which is a whole other concept. That's, Oh, we're going to talk about time. (laughs) Difficult to wrap your brain around. But when Einstein, it was Einstein's theory of general relativity. So yeah, one of Einstein's theories of relativity was the one that talks about this curvature of space-time explaining gravity in a different way. And, um, and so you're, so you're asking about like two different theories that don't mesh and there's, we still haven't figured out how to unify them. You're probably thinking of, um, quantum physics and relativity. Mm -hmm. And the reason those don't mesh is that quantum physics, the, the name quanta is like little things. So Mm -hmm. it's not little things like, like your phone, it's little things like you will never be able to see them. They're so small atoms, electrons, um, quarks, subatomic particles. So that's, this is the physics. And when I say physics, you ask like, what is physics? Really? It's like a beautiful language, usually of math, but sometimes of somebody who just likes to blabber on about it, a beautiful language about, um, about how those things interact and how they work. And if you give them a little flick, where does it go? What happens to it? And with quantum physics, the rules of Licking a little particle and seeing where it goes are so wonky that you will, you won't know where that particle goes. It might tunnel through a barrier. It might, yeah, it might like, like as if this, you know, the plant on your wall could just move through the wall all of a sudden. Those types of things happen on the quantum scale. So weird things happen and you need special math to describe those weird behaviors. So that's quantum physics. And then over here is the opposite. So it's the opposite of like something really tiny would be something really, really big, something big enough to noticeably affect this, the curvature of space and time. Those are things like black holes, the sun, neutron stars, uh, white holes. I don't know if that's actually a real thing. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, supernovas, like the most massive things in the universe are described by the language of general relativity. And we still have not been able to unify those. There's some places where the languages don't match is as if you, you translate them and the words don't mean the same thing. So, but mathematically, so, (laughs) so that would be like in one place you get a zero on in these equations, another place you get an infinity in these equations. And you're like, um, well, which one's right? And the truth is that we don't know in the small cases, quantum theory seems to be very right based on all of our experiments. And in the big cases. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code SOMNIUM to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. The relativity seems to be right based on all of our experiments and observations. And and, uh, we're still looking for that math that can bridge the gap. Do you think that's the theory of everything that ends up bridging that gap? 
Yeah. Do you think it will, okay. So I've been thinking about this a lot because I love this stuff and I talk to various <laughs> different people within this realm. When and- are you, I'm just so curious when you're thinking, like, is it in the shower one day it comes to you and you're like, what, how does, because I, I know that as a physicist, I'm, I'm constantly asking these questions, but the number yeah. of people that tell me like, oh, I just wasn't interested in that stuff. But obviously you didn't pursue a career in, in physics and science. So what, what gets you interested? When are you thinking about these things? I like to know how things work. I'm always very curious how things work. Even if a friend has an issue, a problem, emotional, whatever, mm-hmm. I want to know why. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, what, you know, I'll dive in and like really kind of excavate. So the logical, logical brain there. Yeah, so I just like to know how things work. And I believe that when we know how the universe works, we know how to live our life better. Hmm. Like, What mm-hmm. if we really knew that thoughts, cre- what if we really totally believed? I think we can know that thoughts, cre- thoughts create things, but what if we just knew it and believed it to our core? Like mm-hmm. the entire fabric of reality changes once you know how to use the nature of reality to better your life and better other other people's lives. Yeah. yeah. If we kind of if we could figure these, if we could answer these questions, then we would know how to live our life bigger, better, and more efficiently. It's so funny that that you jumped to talking about sort of, you know, a friend having relationship problems and wanting to know how that works. And I feel like some people think that you're either one kind of science person or the other where you have interpersonal skills and you can't be both. Um, But I find that even in my even in my my everyday interactions where I'm calling my mom and she's upset that the the, my dad didn't fix the horse's gate or something. And I'm like, well, why, what happened? Like what, (laughs) what led to that experience and how does the gate work? And like, I want to, I want to understand, you know, maybe why they're arguing. And then in the end, why I'm, I'm dragged into it and why I'm arguing with, like, I want to, I want to understand people and how they think and how they work. And I think it's a very similar, similar curiosity to how the universe works. So yeah, the same. (laughs) And I don't know if you experience the same, I I mean, this isn't scientific, but it's kind of explaining this sort of uh, curiosity is that I've explored kind of the nature of empathy and there are different kinds of empaths. And one of the forms of empaths, they just want to know how and why. So it seems uh, a little colder or a little bit um, less emotionally connected to start asking questions, but that's the nature of that empathy is like, I want to understand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't meet, I don't like feel someone's emotions, but I kind of am aware of how they feel. And then I want to understand why. And so I feel like you sound like the version of me that I'm always trying to convince people that, that I'm, I'm not, but I really am because they already put me in this box. They're like, you're a scientist. You must like when someone's upset or something and I'm asking questions and I want to understand, they're like, oh, you like, you must just think logically and you're not there. And I'm like, no, I really want to know what's going on because I want to be able to, I want to be able to like, imagine, okay, if I went through this, like a, and then B, and then I did C, and then someone told me D, then I I would feel this way. And I can understand, like get to the place where they're at. And it's like a, a version of, of empathizing with them on a deeper level. I think yeah. I one of my favorite, uh, videos that I've ever made and people that I've ever worked with. Um, have you heard of Rodney Mullen? No. 
So he's basically the um, the Tony Hawk of street skating. So, so okay. he's one of the grandfathers, the fathers of modern street skating, like the, the flat ground ollie and the kickflip. He invented all of those tricks. Um, and he's just, I, you know, any skateboarder you talk to is like, oh my God, Rodney Mullen. Like he's a hero, truly. Okay. Um, so I got the opportunity to work with him on a video and I was terrified because, I was thinking like, ah, I want to do really right by the father of modern skating. He's so revered and so talented. And I started watching all these videos about his original tricks and how he thought. And, and I watched his old, like, you know, these videos are our kids skating on industrial pipes and there's like Blink-182 playing. And I'm this physicist sitting there watching this, but, but what I realized is I was looking at his world, trying to find the physics in it and trying to find the science in what he does. And mm -hmm. by the time I got there to meeting him, I was like, yo, did you know this about your trick? And the, the, that when you kick like this, what it's doing is this flip and, and it does, it can't spin like this. And so you have to play it. And he was like, Whoa, I, he loves physics as well. So he's like, Oh, I never thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was there, like, I've never been interested in skateboarding. I'm not a skateboarder, but I'm so in love with the sport and the way he does it because of the way uh, the way I could start to see it through my lens. And I mm -hmm. think that's, I think that's one of the magical things about, about science and really any way of finding a way to be curious is that you can connect with other people. You keep asking questions. Eventually it'll lead you to asking questions about other humans and what they're interested in and what they love. And I think it's just a, I don't know. I don't think this is how most people think of science, but I think of it as another an incredible way to connect with other humans, but through yeah. a slightly different lens. Yeah. High five. I agree. <laughs> I really agree. Um, Which is why I would love to, to do the physics of with racing um, of racing, because it's not, yeah. it's not something I know anything about, but, but looking at it through a physics oh, lens. A lot. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. There's a million engineers and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tunnels underneath the car that create like yeah. a vacuum to the ground. And did you ever get in any of that? Like, were you ever in any of the, the experiments? No, I just would tell them how it felt. They'd make it. Okay. okay. I'd go out and I'd be like, oh my gosh, they might, they might lower the end plate skirts on the wing a quarter, uh, an eighth of an inch on both sides. And I was like, holy crap, they're the whole car is so much more grip now. Oh, I wow. can, you know, the front turns so much better. I, oh yeah. It, 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 the minuscule, minuscule differences with attitude of the car and ride mm -hmm. height of the car. I mean, I had a one time they pulled like an, a 16th of an inch of shim. It's called in the front that lowers it a 16th of an inch on a stock yeah. car, which is a big car. Uh -huh. And I was like, and they actually, they added, no, no, no. They added a 32nd. It was either 32nd or 16th. It was so minuscule. And but I was like, you'd never be able to see it with your eyes. It was, it, it was no, so I was like, you destroyed the car. I was like, it's terrible. Go back. Wow. Like, it's so crazy how, um, it littlest things make a difference. And um, they're just experimenting with you as, as the, the guinea pig. I love that there's these engineers and they're like, well, yeah. you know, obviously we have to put a driver who knows what she's doing in the yeah. seat and yeah. get it going. Yeah. And then that's the real feedback. Yeah. 
I wonder if as we level up our consciousness, if new forms of mathematics emerge, like as we evolve, Mm. do we actually unlock the next level of Mm -hmm. math and of about of uh, and the way that we think like do we need a new 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 arithmetic essentially new new math and i just yeah. wonder if that's partly why and so like the next level up might be the theory of everything but then on, on, on ultimately the theory of everything unlocks this next dimension that we don't quite understand right 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 i love that i love that question i love the thought that like we are, it's almost like, I I feel like your question feels like how we see with our three um, biology is not my thing, but we have like the rods and cones in our eyes and the cones um, show us colors. So we've got like red, green, and blue cones, mm-hmm. but then there are animals out there that have, you know, five plus cones so they can see millions more colors than we can, or billions more colors than we can. And so you know, is there like a, is there maybe like a, a neuro, uh, parallel to that where we're imagine like a brain that has however many trillions of synapses and things Mm -hmm. that this is so far out of my area of expertise, by the way, but I think it's really fascinating to think about. So I'm going to, so let's just explore together. Yeah, let's play. But imagine that you had, instead of your trillions of synapses, you had like five, 10, a thousand, a billion times that in your brain, would you think about math differently? Would you have to do language differently? Like I think a lot of sci-fi movies have depicted ultra smart beings where they're suddenly like ultra logical and they can't have emotions anymore. But I don't know that that would be, I I don't know. Again, this is not my expertise. I was, I'd got a degree in physics and specifically studying stars and dark matter. So not how brains work and how we will evolve, but I think it's a really fascinating question. Yeah. It's just a curiosity I have. Okay. Well, you (laughs) said dark matter. So I'd love to talk about yeah. And um, I I've, I've so many times, of course, thought of like dark matter, dark energy, Mm -hmm. I I use the parallel of uh, junk DNA. Like we kind of don't understand like 95% of our DNA, but we also don't understand like 95% of the universe. (laughs) I'm like, exactly. I'm also fascinated with fractals. Like I, I (laughs) will talk about that in a second, but, um, but I think about that a lot and I'm just, I wonder of the micro macro of, of, of things. And if it's just some kind of fractal loop, but what is your understanding of dark matter or even your opinion at this point in time? The Your brain is so fun. The Like the connection between unused DNA and, and dark matter that we don't even know what it is. Um, I think that's, that's really, really fun. But yeah, so as a, like a little background to anyone who's never heard of dark matter, the way that I first learned about it is that there's this stuff out there in the universe. One thing it does is that if you look at a a galaxy and you look at how stars are moving around the galaxy, they should only be able to move so fast that the gravity inside the galaxy can hold them going that fast. And if, if something goes faster and I get in a galaxy, it'll fly off. Just like, imagine you're holding somebody's hand on the playground and you start spinning faster and faster. And then you, you like your sweaty hands lose grip and you can't hold on. It's the same in a galaxy where something going faster and faster around the center, 
needs a certain amount of mass to hold on. So we look at a galaxy and we see how much matter is there. We're like, I can see a lot of brightness. So there's 5 billion stars, whatever. And then you calculate or you measure how fast those stars are moving. You calculate how fast they should be moving. And you find that many of the stars in the universe are moving way faster than they should be based off of how much matter is there to hold, you know, basically the the hands on the playground. Like the, <laughs> the galaxies are too sweaty to hold on to how fast the stars are moving. Um, scientists don't usually put it like that, but that's how I like to think about it. I love like real life analogies. <laughs> so, the, so, so it doesn't make sense is what you're saying. When we, when you look out and you do the, you do the math on what you're seeing in the universe and how much, um, how much mass there is based on the mass and then how fast things are moving, they shouldn't be able to stay in orbit to that sun anymore. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So they shouldn't be able to stay. They, they should be flying off into space, but they're not, they're staying in orbit. So, and sometimes there's like a hundred times too little mass to hold on to these stars. So it's significant. It's not like, Oh, we found 99.9% of the mass. We're like, where's the rest? No, it's like, we found, we, we found 1% of the mass in some cases, like these galaxies are way too small based on what we see. And so Mm -hmm. the theory we've come up with is that there's extra matter there that we cannot see. And we've called it dark matter. So there's extra stuff there. And so you know, the astute, curious person would be like, well, could it just be our math is wrong? Or could it be like something else is there that we're not seeing, like maybe dead planets that aren't emitting a lot of light. But we have a bunch of other experiments that show us the same exact thing. We see light curving around galaxies and it curves too much. We see that's the thing light can do. <laughs> Your right, face yeah. looks like, but, is, yeah. that, is that a black hole? I mean, are we able to see where all where black holes are? First off, just being able to see into the universe, like that new Hubble. Can we see the black holes? Like, do we, if, especially if light's bending, is that a black hole? And is the black hole what creates more mass? Because they're supposed Sometimes. to everything up, apparently. Yeah. I mean, did you see a couple of years ago, the first image ever of a black hole oh, yeah. came out? Yeah. yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, that was very exciting for the science community. Oh, it was um, very exciting for the layman too. <laughs> because we've never, we've never seen it. I mean, that's, I think like when something is visible and you can like put an image to it to like really wrap your imagination around, it starts to become like the questions just yeah. start yeah. exploding in your mind. So, so what you're seeing there is not actually the black hole. You're seeing light bending around it. So yes. Around a black, a black hole. hole. So yeah. That could be something that's in these galaxies that is not bright, essentially. Right. Or, or the entire, or yeah, exactly. So, so we, it could be a bunch of little black holes. That's one theory. I don't remember all of the reasons why that's not the leading theory. Why mm. black holes, like if there's just millions of black holes in every galaxy, that's not the leading theory. Um, and I don't remember why, but there are ways that scientists roll these theories out. I haven't memorized all of them, but they're very fascinating and they're very creative and and you should Wikipedia them and spend a long time figuring out why black holes are not dark matter. (laughs) Do things orbit around a black hole? 
do absolutely stars orbit around a black hole? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Black holes are essentially the opposite version of a sun and it, the dark black holes trump a star. Yeah, because they're way more massive. So <laughs> you could have a star orbiting a black hole and you could have planets orbiting that star. Technically, mm. our sun is sort of orbiting a black hole, sort of, because there's a giant black hole at the center of our galaxy. And that's the one that they took the first picture of. So they weren't looking at a galaxy far, far away to look, to find that black hole. They were looking at our own galaxy and seeing the black hole at the center of it. Is there a black hole at the center of all of us as human beings? Not like from a physics perspective, but that sounds like a, a metaphor for like, are we all real dark inside? <laughs> the thing about black holes is that generally they're very, very massive. There are also theories of like tiny black holes, microscopic black holes. Um, and so my <laughs> heart. <laughs> but generally they would like, they would just travel through you and like gobble up a little of you as they went through. They, there would not really be much reason why they would stay there. They would be pulled probably more toward the ground and kind of gobble you little bits of you. That's a weird thought, but like black holes like to eat everything nearby. So, uh, so I hope there's not a black hole at the center of all of us, but we would probably know by now. Yeah. We do deteriorate. We do, but having not been completely gobbled um, and not having a lot of evidence of human gobbling, I'm going to say probably not black holes, but it's it's an interesting idea. But I will say about dark matter that um, we have all this evidence that there's something there. We don't know what it is, but as you mentioned, it's like dark matter is a huge fraction of the mass in the universe, much, much more than like the, you know, atoms that make up you and me and our computers that we're talking through in the microphone you're talking on. Uh, dark matter is way, way more than that. So the fact that we don't know what it is yet is insane. <laughs> Again, maybe our level of consciousness. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about fractals because it's kind of like something that I think about every day. And I think, okay, about, okay. Like, is that something that you are have had thoughts or do you do any research on fractals or not so much? I mean, so there's a couple different, a couple different def definitions of fractals. One is just mm -hmm. like, it's a mathematical shape where you, um, uh, you draw a circle or something, and then you draw a smaller circle off it and you just get these really cool mathematical patterns and you can represent those with equations. But I think you're talking about probably a different kind of fractal. I'm just saying repeating patterns, essentially like the repeating pattern that sort of loops through everything. And that hmm. essentially maybe the theory of everything comes from figuring out what this repeating pattern is. Yeah. I mean, so many of these, these big questions are all theories. Like if we want to talk about what we solidly know, I can tell you when you, when you throw a ball, how it's going to move, but that's not the interesting stuff anymore. Like the interesting stuff is the big questions. We don't have the answers. Well, to we yet. don't really know because we also don't know about gravity anymore. So, <laughs> and we don't understand true. how true. gravity and mass <laughs> really work. So we don't true. know. You're right. We don't, in fact, know. Uh, I stand corrected by Danica Patrick. Um, <laughs> I'm only going there. off of what you said, <laughs> is that we don't understand That's how true. mass and gravity interact, like act the same. Yeah, we don't. We we still don't understand what mass is. We still don't understand what exactly gravity is. So you're absolutely right. But there are different theories of 
how the universe might end. We've got a theory of how the universe started with the Big Bang and this period of intense, like you and I are currently, well, I don't know. We're probably, I'm in Scotland right now. So we're probably, I don't know. I'm in in Scottsdale. (laughs) Scottsdale. Oh, fine. Okay. (laughs) So I was going to say we're only like a foot apart, which is amazing that it feels like that, but um, no, we are, we are many thousands of miles apart, but something thousands of miles apart at the beginning of the universe would now be billions of light years apart. So that happened at the beginning of the universe. We've got this insane period of of expansion. We call it the big bang. And now we want to know what will happen at the end. And I think that's a different question of the theory of everything. That's like a, the theory of everything, like what is matter and how does it interact and what is dark matter and gravity is like one area of physics. And then cosmology is like, where did we come from? Where are we going? That is a really fascinating area of of thought and and exploration and research to me is what's going to happen to the universe in the end. There are all these theories that it might just kind of continue on expanding forever. There's my favorite theory, which is that eventually it'll slow down in its expansion because the universe right now is expanding. You probably heard the universe is expanding, but maybe it'll slow down and come back together and bounce like it'll come back together and bounce and have another big bang and it, it may just keep doing that so that's where I've seen repeating patterns come into physics on the biggest scale would be that's my favorite and then of course there's the there's like the I don't know like the cold death of the universe or something where it just like expands and expands forever and then eventually there's no stars near us and everything's dark in the sky and it's very depressing so <laughs> yeah yeah there's exactly some, like when my brain goes, there's no end. It goes for infinity. <laughs> and then I'm like, but there has to be an end, but there's not. And what is it? And I, I know, I know. And that's where I'm- you've, got, I mean, even if there was like a black hole that created a loop, even if time bending creates like sort of like a bubble of a universe, yes. what's beyond that bubble? And are there multiple I- universes? Is it a multiverse? And what's in between the multiverses? Is- I don't know. I would love to know. That's one of the most, I think this is like as a physicist, that's one of the most frustrating sort of barriers I get to mentally where where if there, if we have this bubble of a universe or something, and there are other universes outside of it, here's the sad fact. We will never know because by definition, our universe is everything that we can contact, we can get light from, we can see, we can learn from, we can get like data from these stars billions of light years away. But if there's anything outside of it, by definition, we'll never know about it. So that's where I'm like, oh, so frustrating. I want to know, like when you reach the limit of what we possibly can know and you're like, but, but, but why not? Let's talk about dimensions then. I mean, I was going to talk about quantum entanglement, but let's let's get into dimensions. So we have sort of our, our reality that we know of that we can touch and feel this third dimension, which explain dimensions and then how many we have. Actually, there's a video I recently made about this. And I think this is a, probably a fun angle to talk about dimensions. So have you ever heard of um, time crystals? I have not, but I was watching that video and it oh, was no. <laughs> overwhelming my brain. Yeah, I, 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 but I didn't get it. 
I didn't completely <laughs> get it. I was like, yeah, well, yeah. Actually, I'm very curious about crystals because there's theories that crystals kind of record information. And isn't there, I mean, things at the subatomic level are crystalline mm-hmm. and structure. Is that Yeah, correct? yeah. Yeah, things at the at the atomic level and the, the molecular level are crystalline. And what that means right. in a physical sense is that uh, there's this repeating pattern. So you'll look at, <laughs> there it is again. Yes, <laughs> the moment you've been waiting for. Repeating, <laughs> repeating pattern. I told you we only have 57 minutes <laughs> to figure out the theory of everything. But yeah, we're yeah, getting- yeah. <laughs> it's going to involve fractals, crystals, uh, black <laughs> holes, dark matter, and... <laughs> Basically, when we unite the 13 crystal skulls, we <laughs> Thanos is crystal um, fist. Yes. I um, mean, I have a lot didn't of tell that. you was there was a time crystal on the other fist. Uh, but no, what is a time crystal? Okay. Uh, yeah. So so crystals are this this uh, structure, um, this sort of material that has a repeating pattern. So if you look with a very, very strong microscope at a diamond, uh, you'll see this repeating pattern of carbon. Well, I think I remember seeing the when I, in the video, it's basically like a grid structure. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there are bonds at the, yep. at the grid points, there are bonds. Yeah. And there are, there are mo- molecules between, so you'll get carbon right. and then with different types of crystals, like tanzanite and rubies, and you'll, you'll have different kinds of like silicone and, um, and nitrogen and other types of things that actually change the color. So when you add silicone instead of more carbon, then you get a green diamond or something. So when you, with this repeating pattern of, of atoms or of molecules, uh, you get a crystalline structure. That's a repeating pattern in space. And so um, what I asked my editor who I was talking to in that video was how many dimensions are there? Like how many do you know of? I kind of am very into the sort of spiritual woo-woo world as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure. I think they say 11 or 12 dimensions. Well, so that is actually not far off from a physics theory. And I will say like, just as a caveat that like the spiritual woo-woo world uh, that you co- you call it um, is very, it's so far as, as far as like the approach to describing things is so far away from physics, a human experiential perspective. Sure. But like from a physics perspective is going to be such a different answer. So the dimensions from a physics perspective, the three dimensions of space, there are three is, you know, forward, backward, up and down and side to side, but there's actually a fourth dimension of space time. So the fourth dimension is time. And so a, a professor, a Nobel laureate at MIT was like, what, what if, bear with me. What if we had repeating structures in time? And that's where he lost me, but he explained it as like, you imagine this, this very small system that just flips to a different state and then it flips back and then it flips. Like imagine, I don't know, maybe, maybe you have like a, a little, I don't know, maybe imagine a ring on your finger and the, the gem just flips to the bottom and then it flips back to the top and it flips back to the bottom. And it just does that automatically, periodically in time. He was imagining a system, not as big as a ring, but on a really small scale, like the atomic scale, as in the repeating atomic structure of crystals, he was imagining this repeating in time. And so I think it was a really creative way of thinking about dimensions and thinking about what you can do in space dimensions, but now doing it in time. That's, 
that's a, a brief little sort of mental fun play thought experiment for what you can do with dimensions. If you're using uh, the time dimension and when things flip, you're saying that that would essentially be a dimension flip? It would be a, a flip in the time dimension. So that repeating structure like silicone carbon, silicone carbon is like a, a space repeating pattern. Uh-huh. But if you're flipping this state in the time crystal, then you're mm-hmm. flipping in time because you're going back and forth and back and forth. And that re- repetition, so that repeating. Going, so if it's not silicone, are you saying it goes to like something else? Yeah. The, the What they ended up making with a time crystal was like quantum atom, there were electrons inside of a quantum computer. So nothing to do with silicone atoms, nothing to do with a ring flipping up and down. It's something like we would never even be able to see it. It's so small and complicated, but they would consider a time crystal because it's this kind of system, like a ring flipping up and down that repeats in time, repetition in time. And they called that a time crystal. It keeps going. Exactly. Got it. Okay. So it's not just it's just naturally repeating in a cycle. Yeah. And it, and, and why it was so special is that you sort of, it doesn't take any energy to do that. So this is like, this was one of the, another question people love to ask me all the time, um, is whether we can make a perpetual motion machine where like you, you're like, okay, but what if you could, uh, have a, a solar panel on top of your car and you shine a flashlight on it <laughs> from the car and it'll just keep going and power. I'm like, okay, but the energy has to come from somewhere. It has to come from inside of the battery. So it, it, it's not perpetual motion because they're like, but no, but you connect the solar panel back into the, the flashlight too. And I'm like, great idea, but there's going to be it, loop it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be losses along the way. And eventually the system will die. It just will, no matter what you do, it will die. No matter how many times you ask me in the YouTube comments. (laughs) So if we're talking about a loop then, and we're talking about time, time bends. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. essentially with enough distance or bending for a long enough period of time comes back on itself. I would say, do we know that? No, but there are totally legit theories that um, if you bend space-time enough, you could come back around in a loop. How would you do that? We don't know. We, how would you like practically do that? We haven't found a way to come back around, which means like, would you be technically coming back around and meeting up where you were in time? Another re- Another big question of the universe that we don't know the answer to yet is why time only goes in one direction because in our experience right you can walk back and forward you could even reverse your car on the track typically you don't i'm guessing you don't usually go backwards Not much. You, do, you don't want to <laughs> if you're reversing you're in deep shit <laughs> has that has that ever happened oh sure like you get in the wrong spot like something happens on pit lane or whatever yeah. go off the track and are nosed up to a wall and you need to back up. Yeah. I mean, you need reverse. <laughs> this is an amazing day that I've gotten to ask Danica Patrick, if she ever, ha- if anyone has to reverse their car, you cannot, uh, you can go backwards and forwards in your car. You can walk side to side, you can jump up and down, but you can't go backwards in time. And we don't understand why, like it doesn't, 
it's kind of just our everyday experience, but this is where physicists love to be like, but hold on. Why would you just accept that? There should be a reason why we can only go forward in time. And we don't know what that reason is yet. So I wonder again, if time, like we rethink gravity, we rethink time, we rethink all of these things. I wonder, I was listening to something the other day and something like, think, I don't know if it happens to you, but stuff like words arrive in my head and then I hear them. And so time is a measurement. This is what arrived in my head. Time is a measurement of entropy. So it's like when you attach it to just entropy, then yeah. it, it it does connect to moving forward. Like we think of time as like there and there and everywhere and forward and backwards, but yeah. maybe time is more just a, a measurement or an explanation for entropy. I've never heard entropy brought into the definition of time, but I, I, I say that because I think that, um, I think it's a really, really interesting and useful way of thinking of time. And especially thinking of entropy because, that's Define entropy, other... though, just in case. Uh, just <laughs> yeah, in case I was going to say. Yeah, so one know. of the other, one of the other accepted laws, and in fact, the reason why we can't have a flashlight shining on a car and perpetually on a, a solar panel on a car perpetually powering the car, um, although you should pitch that to. <laughs> it's a good idea. At NASCAR, see what they say, test their um, belief in uh, the thermo- laws of thermodynamics with flashlight that. powered cars. <laughs> be like, hear me out, but really you're just testing them. So yeah, entropy is this idea that the sort of the chaos of the, the earth, the, the, the organization of things in the universe tends to go down. So the chaos tends to go up, organization tends to go down, and that will always be true. Um, that's what we have observed. We've never seen it go the other way. Even when, you know, one of the things that confuses people is they're like, they look at a human. They're like, I look pretty organized some mornings. I look pretty put together usually. Um, but like I have, you know, my eyes are here and I'm symmetrical and I've got two ears. Like this seems like a pretty organized system that seems to go against entropy. But what they don't realize is that you've created a lot of chaos. Meanwhile, you've, uh, your body heat has, radiated into the air in your room and that's created lots of chaos you've probably pooped a lot that's a pretty chaotic hopefully hopefully. that's a pretty chaotic state of matter uh there's a lot you've left behind that's chaos as you've come into being this very organized thing so overall the the system of the universe uh the entropy increases um and, or they say the entropy of an isolated system increases. Is the universe isolated? That's another big question. Like how, <laughs> what's beyond the edge of the observable universe? I don't know. We get older, we get older and it's essentially entropy, right? Like we are becoming less, less organized, more chaotic. We're sort of deteriorating. Yeah. Yeah. But if you also think about the system we're in, like the rooms we're in, the places we travel, we're also increasing the chaos of the world around us. I think that's a, that's a key. I think that's a a fun one. There's some good metaphors there too, but that's like a, like from a, from a physics perspective, you got to think about the system you're in and what you're interacting with because humans are obviously not isolated in like a bubble. We are interacting with people, with other people and with, (laughs) with toilets and with, uh, you know, cars and releasing 
burned uh, fuels into the atmosphere and there's lots and lots of chaos and, and, um, increased disorder from all those things happening. So humans are not isolated systems. Like, Like I'm coming probably at things from a slightly different angle and you totally. are too, yeah. and we can like, this is a co co-creation. This is like, that's what <laughs> I think that's what life's about. Okay. Well, let's finish this off. Cause I know that you need to go, but let's finish this off with like making a case for and against being in a simulation. Oh, that's a really fun one. Okay. So this is actually something that uh, I talked about in, I, I just filmed my first ever show. That's not on YouTube. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Career changes, fun stuff. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more of a math show. And one of the things that we talk about in it is, is an argument for us being in a simulation and the argument tapping (laughs) into the, I'm tapping into the quantum field, into the collective. And I just became aware I'm connecting with that information here. Let me see if I can remember how exactly the argument goes because it's much more of a mathematical argument, like a probability really? argument. Yeah, and go it has to- go with your gut, though. I want to hear what you think. Like, what you can just—you don't have to get super sciency. If there is the possibility of us being in a simulation, then we would not know because it would be indistinguishable. We're talking about right, like a, a simulation indistinguishable from reality. Yeah, right. from like, like we don't know we're in it and we can't tell. Like Elon Musk said, he said, if, if, you know, video games going where they were to where they are now, and essentially when you, when you project that out, there will, it will be indistinguishable between our reality video game. And so that likens the probability that we are in a simulation. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's, I think that's the argument for it. Like if there's the possibility of getting to a point where it's indistinguishable, then we will get there. And, but I don't know like what the logical leap is to getting to the point of like we are, then therefore we are, you know, and, and would in our simulation, we build another simulation. Like we, do we get to the point where it seems like, we're like, imagine we're in a simulation now, and now we're building video games that seem like a simulation. And then in that one, do we build video games that seem like a simulation? <laughs> um, I think the argument against it is just, it, it's just a purely human, visceral, emotional, this feels like real life. It feels, it's just like, it feels like I have free will. Do I? I don't know because we haven't been able to figure out whether there's determinism. We don't, that's more of like a philosophical question, but it feels like I have free will. It feels like I'm not in a simulation, but I think like probabilistically it's, it's likely that if it's possible to build a simulation, then we're in one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because the if you just project the probability out, yeah, the fact that there is that probability. But I do. I'm with you. I think that that emotional level, that that fact that the fact that we can actually entertain the idea that we are a simulation. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like if you can question whether or not you're a narcissist, you're not. Because if you <laughs> are, you would never even think you about would never it. Ask yourself about that. No. So it's almost the fact that we can entertain the idea that we're in a simulation. It, it, for me, really is interesting. I think when we think about consciousness, I think consciousness is that X factor in my mind that's like, yeah. okay, well, what's that? What yeah. the fact yeah. that I can be the observer, the fact that I can have these transcendental experiences or be able to right. get out of body, like what is that? 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, what is, oh my gosh, I think that's, that's one of the the most amazing questions in science that's outside of physics, but I would love for whoever's field that is to figure out is what is consciousness? What, come on, like, come on. We all want to know, like, what is self? I, and maybe these are philosophical questions and will never be answered by science, but I like to think that they're, they're science questions and we'll someday have an, a better understanding of like who we are, what self is. I don't know if it's going to come from physics because we're way too, we're way too physically based and logical, but I, uh, maybe it will someday. I would love to know what, who, like what humans are, what, what is we, what, who are we? <laughs> what, what is the, I am that I am situation. I yes. agree. But I think, yeah. I don't think, I think that, um, I don't think you're accurate in saying it won't come from physics. Physics is is um, finding things like dark energy and dark matter, or at least giving something a title for something unknown. You're like, there's this there's this equation we can't figure out. And so that we yeah. have to give it a title yeah. and a name because we don't know what it is at this point in time. And that's physics filling finding blank spaces where we're like, okay, what right. is that? And I think spirituality and science go hand in hand in that I really feel like a lot of times spirit things that cannot be explained scientifically uh, it's just a matter of time yeah then, I, um, I completely agree with you and I think whatever I mean- time is and, <laughs> and that as we you know as we as we go along we you know we kind of keep an- coming up with all these questions and it was actually one of my first few interviews was Neil deGrasse Tyson and oh um, my gosh so fascinating fun. I was like holy yeah. crap this is so great and he just <laughs> sort of described it like you know there's there's this bubble we live in and here's the questions and as the bubble gets bigger and we learn more there's exponentially more questions and so yeah. Yeah. what is the biggest question that you want answered in your life Ooh, the biggest question I want to answer in my life. I I feel like I I could go two ways. One is just like, how do you find happiness? Like, what is the true way of finding happiness? It's just something I think about all the time. And then the other one is, why do particles pop in and out of existence in the void (laughs) of space time? And those are the ways that I live my life. (laughs) How do you connect with people and have amazing relationships? And why does salt decrease the freezing point of water? (laughs) I love the way your brain thinks. (laughs) I think between all of my curiosities and questions and your uh, knowledge, I really feel like we could figure some things out. Oh yeah, absolutely. I also think that, you know, curiosity keeps you young. If you think about who, who are the the people who, you know, become the smartest, the fastest, the people who just like increase their intelligence, the fastest, their children, because they're so curious and they're constantly asking questions and absorbing it. And they're never shamed for being curious. They're never shamed for asking a multitude of questions across all areas of your life. Mm. Um, why, why does poop increase entropy or, or why do particles pop in and out of existence? Why is the sky blue? All these questions lead to a lot of learning, but I also think that the curiosity that is thought of as childlike really leads to a, a better enjoyment, a deeper enjoyment of daily life. I really do. Mm, I love that. Keep asking questions. Keep asking questions. Cool. Well, we appreciate that you keep answering them. So when you find those 13 crystal skulls, just put them, put it together and we'll, we'll surely have some more answers. Most excellent. Danica, this is so much fun. Thank you. Yeah. For
Thank you so much. So, so informative and so thought provoking as well. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.